by telling them, but by leading them. They'll get there with the help of God. Can you say amen? amen? Praise the Lord. All right, Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. A very short but powerful scripture that we're going to look at tonight. And everything you think you know about it, you may not know enough. And I'm still learning. Hallelujah. You know, one of the things I have learned in the last, oh my word, okay, 47 years of, of coming to the Lord Jesus and serving him, the more I live, the more I know, Sister Switzer, how little I know. I know what I know, but what I know is just a fraction of what can be known. And I love learning from the Word of God. And I'm going to learn until my dying day on my deathbed, if it ever comes to it. If not, I just keep on learning in a rapture with a book in my hand. Wouldn't that be good? And then all of a sudden, it'll disappear because then we'll see the one who it's all about. Amen. Because the Bible says right now we know in part, prophesy in part, but then we shall see him face to face. And then all that we need to know will be unfolding before us through the ages. And what a glorious experience that will be. I'm looking forward to that day. In the meantime, we know in part, just in part, and we preach or prophesy in part. Hallelujah. But one day, It'll be a whole lot more than what we know down here. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Let's read that out loud together. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Praise God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. That's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That we pray that your anointing spirit will be in this place tonight. Touch each and every heart, every mind, every soul, every spirit. We pray, O oh Lord, that you had help us, O oh Lord, to gain great insight from your word. And that we would more than anything apply it to our hearts. And that we may help other people, O oh Lord God, in this world who are struggling. And we help, O oh Lord, we need help in this last days. For there's great cesspool of immorality in our midst. Lord, help us and help our children. Protect them, O Lord God. And God, help us to be more effective in our evangelism. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Let the church say amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing to the Word of God and being attentive to the ministry of the Word. Amen. We're talking about the seventh commandment. Every commandment is important. And every commandment had a specific role. And it is absolutely indispensable to a healthy society and civilization. Without the Ten Commandments, no civilized country or nation will survive. They'll survive for a while, but eventually they'll succumb to the pressures and the corruption uh, that goes with a fallen world. Amen. If you don't have proper moral principles in place, it will be totally detrimental to a family, to uh, a, a country, uh, to a society. Amen. So the seventh commandment deals with God's plan for sexual fulfillment. And I know we have some young people in our midst, but you know what? Public schools deal with it their own way. We're going to deal with it our own way. As the Word of God says. And we're going to answer some questions or help parents answer some questions because Moses was told by God to instruct all of the fathers of Israel, that they should be prepared to answer all the questions that 
they bring up to them concerning God and their walk with God and why they do what they do. Amen. May I encourage parents to, uh, to remember that there's no scripture in the Bible that says that kids' ministry or Sunday school should doctrinate or train your child. Zero. Zilch. But I find many places where the parents are instructed to train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he grows old, shall not depart from it. And even in New Testament, Ephesians 6.4, how the fathers provoke not their children to wrath, but nourish them, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Fathers. And I know we have, you know, in, in modern society, very few fathers around to fulfill that role. And many fathers that are around are dilatory and negligent, and they're not taking their spiritual calling and their priesthood seriously. It's the way it is. Too many men are passive. Too many fathers are passive. And worse than that, too many fathers are absent. And I'm not accusing anybody here at all. I'm just stating everything as a matter of fact, the way that it is. And in society, we see why we're struggling. We see why our world is in trouble. Why we see why our country's in, uh, in trouble. So we're going to talk about the seventh commandment, this, this plan of God for sexual fulfillment. And follow along with your answer sheet. If uh, you need some answers, you don't quite get it. Uh, ask me afterwards, or my wife, or Sister Melissa, Brother Mike Poole. I gave him the answer sheet, hallelujah, the cheat sheet. It's not a cheat sheet, amen. But it'll help you, I think, to follow along and maybe take this with you. You can ponder it and contemplate it some more later on. God created man as a sexual being. I think you know that by now. But primarily to build a close bond between husband and wife. And holding the family together and to repopulate the earth. That was the purpose of sex uh, with respect to God's purpose and his plan, his motive. God ordained sexual relations as an act between a man and a woman within the bonds of a marriage covenant. That's also important to remember. Sex was never meant to be indulged in outside of a marriage covenant. That's God. Now, Hollywood will say something else about it. Schools will say something else about it. Uh, the lifestyle currently in modern society, which is not modern, it's actually archaic, age-old, and animalistic, and cannibalistic. It is old. It's not progressive. It is regressive. Going back to the caveman days when there were no Ten Commandments, when men didn't know anything better. So God meant for sex to be experienced in a marriage covenant among humans. God knows that man's sexual drive is strong, very strong, in fact. And God created that drive to be strong to make sure that the great qualities of life are nourished. Qualities such as love and joy and peace and trust, faithfulness, unity, and that the earth is always repopulated. All those qualities, in a sense, you can get in the Holy Ghost. But I'm not talking spiritual. I'm not talking just about the human physical level. But that also brings satisfaction. That also brings a great quality of life when you have that even on a human level. 
When you get the Holy Ghost, you have the epitome of all those qualities. Because God's presence is on the inside of you. And so God knows that that man has to control his drive. And so he has to keep that sexual drive within bounds and within specific limits. Therefore God commanded mankind, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not, let me put it another way, thou shalt not commit acts of immorality against marriage and the family. That's what he's really saying. Don't do any immoral acts that would destroy the family, that would hurt the family uh, or your marriage. And really, uh, as I said in my prayer even, today's society has become nothing more than a cesspool of immorality. And I think you know that's true. Adultery is prevalent. Pregnancy among unwed mothers is all too common. You know that's true. Premarital sex, sex before marriage, is commonplace, accepted practice among the young. And sex among unmarried adults, young and old alike, is, ex- is accepted and expected by the vast majority of people in our society today. That's not the way it was when I was young. You say, oh, yeah, but you're old. Yeah, it, didn't, it wasn't that long ago. It was a different world 50, 60, 70 years ago. It was even more different in my grandfather's day. All I'm saying is things are changing and it's coming to a head in this particular age and, and, and generation because we're in the last days. Jesus said, as it were, in the days of Noah. I keep coming back to that. So shall it be in the coming of There was, imagine God destroyed the whole world in those days because everybody was corrupt. Everybody sexually impure. Everybody. It was only Noah and his family that got saved. Eight people. Nobody else came in the ark. We're talking about the whole world in his day. And we're getting to the same place where the majority of the people are morally corrupt. So, again, uh, sex among unmarried adults, young and old, it's accepted by, it's so prevalent. It's even expected by the vast majority of people. Now, honest observers of history would say that immorality is a very serious problem, especially today. Why is it a problem? Because it threatens the family. It threatens the family, the very foundation of society and civilization. The family is the primary place where trust, loyalty, and love are to be taught, and not just taught, but demonstrated. So remember, notice how all this dovetails. Some of these other commandments we covered already Many of several of them had a direct impact upon the family and society. And this commandment is no different. And it's one of the big ten. And so if a person will not be faithful and loyal to his family, how can he be trusted to be faithful and loyal to his nation, to society, or even civilization at large? That's why even Jesus said that one of the greatest qualities or the number one thing that he looks for in stewards is that they be faithful. And you and I are stewards of our body. Stewards not just of all that we have, all that we own, 
not just our, our, our life, but our body. We're to be good stewards. In fact, there's a scripture stating exactly that, that we are to be good stewards of this body, which is a temple of the Holy Ghost. And it's important because adultery, you see, tears apart the family. It causes hurt. Everybody say hurt. Suffering and shame and guilt and even brings a life to secrecy where they're, they're hiding things and, and they constantly cover up their tracks and, and, and all that they think and do and say. They're, they're, they're very careful and, and, and do things in secret. It can bring the whole family to destitution and, and uh, a spirit of distrust will permeate that family uh, group. Disloyalty can be characteristic. And, and again, unfaithfulness after unfaithfulness can be the result. Moreover, immorality and adultery, if it's practiced and where it's practiced, it, it basically teaches that certain ungodly behavior is acceptable. That's why it shouldn't be acceptable. Because the more you see it, the more you see others do it, the more it just says that it's okay to go ahead and do that. When in God's eyes, and really the laws haven't changed, it's not right. And it, it, it really teaches ungodly behavior, like selfishness. It's okay to be selfish and do whatever I want to do. I mean, certainly uh, this consumerist uh, mentality uh, that is propagated in, in our society is that you want it, get it. You want to do it, do it. You know, Nike, just do it. You know, whatever one feels right to you, go ahead and do it. And so it, it teaches selfishness to focus on yourself and, and whatever you want to do, whatever feels good to you, you do it. And it, and it also espouses unfaithfulness. No loyalty to anyone or anything. It, it, uh, it, it promotes distrust and disloyalty, the secrets we talked about that, and basically irresponsibility. Think about today's generation. Think about people. Irresponsible. Uh, and this is why God gave us this commandment. It's to preserve our lives and to give us the best qualities that life can offer. Qualities that build a healthy mind and a healthy heart. That's what the Ten Commandments do, particularly this one. Thou shalt not commit adultery, Exodus 20, 14. I want to point your attention to 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Uh, Paul here is writing to the Corinthian church, flee fornication. Notice that, flee fornication. Paul does not say rebuke it. You can rebuke it all day long if you don't change your distance between it. That's why uh, Joseph, when he was tempted and almost forced by Potiphar's wife to come lie with me, come on, let's, let's have a good time, let's have a fling, he turned and he ran. Flee. Get yourself out of that situation. It's the only sin that we see in the Bible to which we're commanded to flee and not rebuke. Because you hang around that kind of temptation, you'll fall into it. Why? Because we're human. We've got a fallen nature. And you think you're strong enough, but you're not. And you might be just tempting God by trying to withstand it and 
try to expose yourself to all those temptations and say, oh, I can do it. I no, you can't. We'll look at more at this in a little bit. But flee fornication. And then he continues saying, every sin that a man doeth is without the body, outside of the body. But he that committeth fornication, that's sexual immorality, sexual acts outside the bounds of marriage or before marriage, sinneth against his own body. You're doing harm to your own body. And you can really apply that both spiritually and physically, especially when you look at sexually transmitted diseases, STDs. It hurts you. It harms you. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5 says this, For this is the will of God. Let me say will of God. Even your sanctification, that is your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, sexual impurity and immorality, that every one of you, notice, every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, in holiness. Sanctification is the same word as holy. It's set apart. It's something that belongs to God. Your vessel, your body belongs to him if you're born again. Now, if you're not born again, you're not his yet, right? Then you're living by a different standard, by a different rule, by a different God. You're walking on a different road. You're on the broad way, not the straight and narrow way. Your master somebody else. It's not Jesus. So it doesn't apply to you in your church if you say Jesus is your Lord. If Jesus is your Lord, then you've got to know how to possess your vessel in holiness and sanctification and honor. Verse 5, contrary, not in the lust of concupiscence, but even as the Gentiles which know not God, not in lust, not in sexual uncontrol, but rather it's this resistance to lusts and temptations. It is, uh, it is totally yielding to the spirit rather than to the, the fleshly impulses of your body. And when you look at the word adultery, adultery means to debase. And there's a, a dictionary definition. It means to debase, to corrupt oneself sexually, to make oneself impure sexually. And it also means to have sex outside of marriage. Can I just paraphrase this? God is saying when he said, thou shalt not commit adultery, he's saying you shall not debase yourself, corrupt yourself, nor make yourself impure sexually. You shall not have sex outside of marriage. That's the paraphrased version. But it is the correct meaning of thou shalt not commit adultery. Scripture teaches that a person becomes sexually impure in at least three ways. At least three. One, it's... A person, if a person has sex with someone other than his or her spouse, if they're married and, and one has sex with, with somebody outside of that marriage covenant, that is called adultery. Two, if a person has sex before marriage, this is called fornication, which refers to any form of sexual immorality, either before marriage or after marriage. That's also part of that definition applied to adultery, fornication. And three, well, the third way that a person becomes sexually impure, if a person, I get this, fantasizes or lusts after a person other than his or her spouse, 
and allows his or her mind to be set upon another person. And we'll look at that moment from Jesus' perspective in just a moment. Now, note that the sin of adultery embraces all those things that lead up to the sex act or the act of sex. It's not just the sexual act itself, right? This is why the thought life of a person is important when dealing with adultery. Because adultery is committed in the heart long before the act ever is committed. As we observed in the previous commandment, the last lesson we talked about against murder, we saw that God's morality was concerned not only with the end result, the act of murder, but the beginning of sin also. So with murder, he looked at anger and hate, remember that? And equated that it was it's not that it was just as bad as, but, but God's morality was looking at the beginning. That's where it begins. So you have to address it there. According to New Testament standards, Jesus is, is interested in us shutting down the beginning of a sin as much as not doing it in the very act. The Old Testament laws I mentioned with the last commitment only applied to the act alone. And even today, we, we, we can only make judgment or pass judgment, morally speaking, or even with respect to uh, uh, discipline in the church or even in the world. It, it, the disciplinary action and the legal uh, actions only take place after the act has occurred. But again, we're speaking about morality, not the act itself, but, but, but the beginning of it, the, the whole philosophy, the mindset of people, the motivations, and, and all those things that God is interested in the beginnings of sin, not just the end result. Okay? So that's very, very important to remember. And so with, with adultery, as with some other sexual sins, God's morality is interested with shutting down lust where it begins. Shutting down fantasizing by controlling of thoughts before it becomes fornication and adultery. And we see that as we look at Jesus' teaching, and this is powerful. I, I, I tell you what, and I do include the scripture in your note, in your worksheet, I believe. Matthew chapter 5, 27 through 30. Because in the New Testament, Jesus expanded the meaning of adultery. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But, everybody say but. I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out. And cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Let me, let me read it to you in the New Living Translation version. Matthew 5, 27 through 30. You have heard that the law of Moses says, do not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust in his eye has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even if it's your good eye, causes you to lust, 
gouge it out and throw it away because it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even if your stronger hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown to hell. Now, let's be clear. God is not talking about self-mutilation and cutting your hands off, your extremities, or really putting out your eye. What he's talking about is take drastic action to restrain your, what you're looking at and what you're doing. So the whole point of all this is, is for, for you and I. Like for example, I mentioned uh, in the Old Testament, only the act was judged. But in the New Testament, Jesus wants us to look at the beginnings of all this. We're held to a higher standard than the law. Some people have a problem with the law and following rules. Can I tell you, the New Testament has a higher requirement and a higher standard that the Old Testament never had. But combined with the Old Testament and then with the teaching of Jesus, teaches us how serious God is about sin and about some of the things that the world says is okay, God said, no, it isn't. And you and I better judge ourselves about what is right and wrong by the Word of God and not by what, you know, the Hollywood actors and actresses do or what they say. We better not judge ourselves by what politicians do and I don't, or, or the wealthy or some of these people that, uh, that have money and, and, or athletes and, and they, they, they spout all kinds of ignorant stuff that is totally against God's law and God's Word. We better pay attention to the Word of God. Why? Because we're Christians. And judgment, it's time that judgment begin at the house of God. 1 Peter 4, 16 through 18. Amen. We have to judge ourselves. That's what church is all about. And it's not about cutting off hands and feet and gouging out eyes. It's about seeing how serious God is about some of these things that we think, oh, it's okay to look. It's okay for me to touch. It's okay for me to go some of these places that I think is okay. I'm not actually doing anything, but I'm exposing myself to some of these things that I know are wrong. And so look at the implication of the scripture. This is what it said. This is powerful. What Jesus is saying is that even if just one eye is, is lusting and looking, it's enough to send your whole body to hell. you see that? If your eye offends you, he says it's better to lose that one eye than for all of your body to go to hell. Just one member of your body, one eye, one hand, one foot is all it takes. And that affects your whole body. It affects your whole soul. Even if it's just one hand that reaches and touches that which is forbidden, it can cause your whole body to be cast into hell, fall into sin. Just remember Adam and Eve. Reach out with one hand. I don't know if she took one hand or two. But look where we are. Hallelujah. It didn't matter if it was one hand or two. And we all got condemned to death. Praise God. Jesus said that. Jesus said that. That means we should be more serious about what we focus our eyes on and what our thoughts and our thought life dwells on. Let's look at what some of the causes are of adultery and immorality. 
What are some of the causes of adultery and immorality? Well, obviously the causes are many. First of all, it's, it, it can't be corrupt moral, moral standards. Corrupt moral standards or lack of moral standards. They don't have any. It can also be caused by lax or liberal moral standards or having a selfish, worldly, immoral lifestyle. Lax or liberal moral standards. Or it can be the result of the need for companionship. Somebody's been really lonely and, 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 and alone and, and they need companionship and they go to the wrong place and, and, and they get attention and they get, they're, they're needing love and, or by the need of appreciation uh, for fulfillment. That can be a cause. Immorality also can be caused by anger and hostility or the seeking of revenge. A host of behaviors can cause anger in a person and, and arouse him or her, for that matter, to commit adultery, such as, well, some of the things that can call that coldness, just cold, indifferent, you're neglectful of your spouse, you got a biting tongue, you're harsh, or you're just plain selfish. Immorality is also caused by having a poor ego, or an inflated ego for that matter. A poor ego, low, deflated ego, or high, inflated ego. The poor ego due to lack of self-esteem and self-worth. And inflated ego, you know, is the, the challenge uh, uh, and conquest to have an affair, to conquer that. So sex... Obviously, it's very normal. We don't talk about it as, a, as something that is uh, abnormal. Uh, we talk about it here now. The Bible, I'll tell you, the Bible has uh, a lot to say about sex. It really does. Uh, I think we have, we have done a great disservice to our generations in times past in not dealing with it. I know in this church, and Brother Switzer and Sister Switzer's pastorate, there, was, there were many times, I don't say many times, there were times when Sister Switzer pulled the ladies aside and then uh, Brother Switzer got the man, and they had some pretty down-to-earth talks. I know because my wife told me about it with the ladies, and I know Brother Switzer, I know we talked some pretty straight stuff. Hallelujah. I'm not talking about just the dangers. Anymore. I'm, I'm talking about just carried on with intimate life in, in, in between a, a man and a woman, a husband and wife. And that was good. Amen. Now, we need to do that. Praise God. Hallelujah. So it's a very normal and natural act, and it's, it's precious, and it's a cherished act, a, a cherished act that, that's given by God. Sex is the most intimate experience that God has chosen for man to nourish the great virtues of life and to propagate the human race. The depraved and the sinful heart of man, as you know, has corrupted sex and so much so that man has developed a sex-crazed society in which you and I live. So in practical terms, when we look at immorality, uh, immorality is caused by several things. Ignoring or denying God and His Word. It can be caused by ignoring what is right and wrong. You may know it, but you don't do it. It can be caused by lack of teaching and training. 
It can be caused by an unsatisfying, inadequate sex life with a spouse. It can be caused by coldness and alienation of husband or wife. It can be caused by living in a fantasy world due to exposure to pornography. And that is indeed just a fantasy world. It makes it impossible for a man or a woman to live up to because it's just not like that in real world, in real life. It can be caused by not guarding relationships. It can be caused by getting too close and becoming attracted to a person. And it can be caused by not guarding against loneliness and emptiness and disappointment in one's spouse or the loved one. And I mean relatively too. And I'm not talking about intimacy, but you know, in a family, you don't have that dynamic where love uh, and affection is present. You know, they then you know uh, they will go outside of that family bond to to seek for love elsewhere. And I've seen that happen. What's part of not so much adultery but fornication? Amen. You know, I've I've seen where a girl in a family in a home. Uh, is, is vying for the daddy's attention, his affirmation and love, just affection for hugging, just just noticing them, and they don't get it. And the older they get, the more frustrated and hurt they get with them. They go out of their family circle, and the first boy that comes along that shows her attention and affection, she throws herself at him simply because she still has that emptiness, that yearning to fill. Hallelujah. I know... Some of you may fall in the category, and others, you're not there. You had great fathers. That's good. But others in the world uh, are not like that. So what are the consequences uh, for breaking this commandment? Well, a person who commits adultery and does not repent will forfeit eternal life. He will not inherit the kingdom of God if they don't repent. Now, remember, such were some of you. Thank God the Scripture tells us all those sins that are listed in 1 Corinthians 6 and, 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 and murder, adultery, fornication, all those things. And Paul says, such were some of you. There's hope. You can repent. God will forgive sin. But if you don't, Hebrews 13, 4, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but the whoremongers, what is that? It's Sexual immoral lifestyle. It's whether you sell your body for money or where you just sell it just for self-gratification outside of the bonds of marriage. It's whoremongering. Because you act like one, but even though you don't get the payment, your payment is not the money. Your payment is your sexual gratification. So he says, marriage is honorable in everyone. Oh, and the marriage bed undefiled, meaning, you know, it's whatever goes between the husband and wife, according to the bonds of, you know, of, of Old Testament guidelines. There's some things you just, you just don't do. But what is mutually agreeable? Hallelujah. It's between you and her. It's your husband and wife. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. He puts that in the same context, the same breath with marriage. And Revelation 21 and 8 says, 21 verse 8, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, whoo, there's another sin we need to talk about, which we will. 
shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And Proverbs 6.32, But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding, he that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. Notice there's a lot of emphasis in sexual morality and lusting and seeing on the man. Although it doesn't exclude women, but, but ordinances or laws like this address our weaknesses according to our gender. And it's predominantly men that have problems with their eyes. Women too in some respects, but especially men. That's one of their weaknesses. That's why Jesus addressed men. You know, if a man so much as looks upon a woman, that doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to women. Yes, it does. It's just that, that women have this preponderance and this, this weakness in their male nature to be drawn to things, to see more so than a woman. And uh, until just very recently, uh, the predominant purveyors of pornography are men. Now, there's a great increase among women as well. All right, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, that's sex, before or outside of marriage, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of all God. And James tells us that when we serve in the Lord, not one of these things shall be named among us if you're a Christian. So what are we do to do when we're tempted? Because we're all going to be tempted. Every last one of us. We live in a sex-crazed world. You're going to be tempted. And there's a devil out there. And you've got a fallen body on the outside, but you've got a regenerated soul on the inside. So what do we do? Well, number one, we must remember that adultery and fornication is a sin against God. Sexual immorality is a sin against God. And not only is it a sin against God, you've got to remember that adultery is a sin against your spouse. And you must remember that adultery is a sin against yourself. And we read that already from 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Flee fornication, because every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. It's a sin against yourself. Adultery is also sin against the family, your family. And adultery is a sin against society, really. So what are the safeguards? Well, protect your marriage. How? Through daily prayer and devotion to start. Prayer and devotion. You'd be surprised how much that helps. The marriage bond and the presence of God and keep it in the center circumference of your relationship. And then be careful with your relationships with members of the opposite sex. Never, ever, ever I say never. Never, ever be alone with someone of the opposite sex. Not in a room together. Oh, no. The more time you spend with someone alone, the more you will be tempted to be attracted to them. Human nature. 
We must safeguard our relationships with members of the opposite sex. Include your spouse, whatever you do, when there's other members of the other member of the sex present. You just can't be alone. Include your spouse or somebody else. Believe it or not, one of the most common atmospheres for adultery is the workplace. Is that work? It's where a woman can show admiration for a man or a man in the office shows attention to a woman. and You could be sowing seeds of adultery. Admiration and attention outside the marriage, well, can be deadly to a marriage, especially if that is absent in the marriage. And this can also happen at church. I've seen it happen. Unfortunately, let's be real. There's a devil among the saints. You don't think he doesn't come to church? You got another thing coming. All you do is you got to remember revival. Look at all the, all the, all the things happen when revival comes. And look at, look, look at what comes to try to disrupt. So it can happen at church. So set boundaries. Set boundaries at your workplace, at church with friends who are not your family, set boundaries. Like what? Well, don't call, text, email, message, Facebook, Instagram, tweet, Snapchat, TikTok, anything personal to each other. Don't get personal. Maintain a professional bearing, respectful, courteous, but a healthy distance. Don't cross the line. What is it when you get too close? You start getting personal, especially between you two, and you don't, you don't involve anybody else in a conversation. That's not good. You're sowing seeds, and whatsoever we sow, we will reap. We got to cut off that arm. We got to cut off that eye. And whatever it takes, put the brakes on. Take a step back. Go on a fast. <laughs> Hallelujah. Keep your professional life professional. Keep yourself accountable to your spouse, too. And dress modesty. Hallelujah. Amen. That's why, honestly, in our relationship, my wife sees all my texts. Uh, in many uh, people, when you send me a text, it's a female. She knows about it. I tell her about it. Emails, we share the same email account. Facebook, same Facebook account. Uh, I tell her everywhere I go. I do. Every time I leave the house, she knows where I'm going. And she basically knows where I'm going step by step and about how long it will take. Why? Because I'm a fallen creature like you. And besides that, it's just common courtesy. I want her to know where I'm at. What, happened, what if something happens to me and, and police come to my wife and say, where's your husband? I don't know. Really? When was the last time you saw him? Oh, about 8 o'clock this morning. Where was he going? I don't know. Really? You're married? You live together? It's not good. It's good. It's good. Common sense, common courtesy, and it's just, it's just practical wisdom. Amen? Amen. So, dress modestly, be accountable. Yeah, dress modestly, that's important. 
And we had some lessons on that, terrific lessons. Be careful what you watch and what you read, what you listen to. In the context of the morality of Matthew 5, 28, the most common place for adultery is pornography on the Internet. And we have to remember that pornography destroys trust. It arouses desires that cannot be fulfilled. It cannot be met. It's just like putting, you know, you're trying to put out a fire by pouring gasoline on it. You don't do that. You, 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 here's the thing. Can I tell you something about sexual desires? You will never satisfy it even when you think you're satisfied. You'll always be hungry for more. How do you satisfy your appetite? Can I tell you, I've been living alive now for 68 years, going on 69, and I get hungry for food every day. Do you? I do. I don't care how much I eat the day before. I had a great supper tonight. Amen. I did. I couldn't eat it all. I, you know, we went out to eat tonight. We were on the run. We are doing visitation, all kinds of things. We went out to the restaurant and eat. I couldn't eat it all. I packed the second half away and put it home. It's going to be our dinner Friday night. You know, plan ahead. Couldn't eat it all. But you know what? I'm stuffed right now, but I'm, I guarantee I'm going to be hungry tomorrow. It's the same thing with any of our, our, our fleshly needs and desires. It never gets content. That's why it has to be restrained. And no matter what appetite it is, whether it's what you see, what you hear, or what you eat, or what you touch, it's, it, it's yes, sex is good, but like, like I said, it, the drive has to be under control. And there's a lot of things we can do to control it. And men and women both fight this battle. Men and women both do. Uh, and, and really with, with pornography, when porn is finished, porn frustrates the husband and the wife because they can't satisfy each other and they can't trust each other. You're, you're, you're sowing a whole atmosphere, seeds of distrust. And pornography paints people as objects, objects just to satisfy biological desire. It becomes so dehumanized. So the best way to safeguard our online presence is through accountability, our person, or the appropriate software. And we encourage and have used all of those. A person who is sexually faithful has integrity before God and man. Look at what Job said in Job 31.1. I made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? The oldest book in the Bible. Job, a great man of God, tested by God and tried by Satan, victorious. And in the middle of his, of his anguish, he says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? When he was having such a difficulty with his wife. What did his wife say? Oh, Job, I hate to see you suffer. You know, I just wouldn't just give up. Curse God and die. I'm not, I, look, I'm married to your woman, hallelujah, whether you like it or not. And you're married to me for better or for worse. Sores, no hair, no money, no health, everything. I'm yours, baby. <laughs> hallelujah. And you're mine. 
You may be telling me devilish words, but you're still mine. I'm not, I'm not changing my looks. I'm not changing my focus. I'm not looking anywhere else. I made a covenant with my eyes. I made a covenant with you, and you're my wife for keeps. And I should think that one of the best ways, almost done, perhaps one of the best ways to keep your marriage from adultery is to keep your marriage strong. Spend time with each other. It's one of the biggest things. Spend time with each other. Play games. Go to dinner. Go to the park. Go take a walk. Go shopping. Do something together. Hallelujah. Just do something. Wash dishes. Clean the floors together. Do the laundry together. Mm. Real spiritual, isn't it? Huh. Hallelujah. Go trim the bushes. Cut the grass. Pull the weeds together. Do everything together you can. Man, you married each other. Take advantage of it. You're pulling the wagon together. You're two horses in the, in the yoke and you got to pull, you know. Together, not apart. Do it together. Take advantage of it so you don't have to do it alone. It goes easier when there's two, right? And more than that, remember your marriage vows. The vows that we made to each other were made to God also, right? And the vows were not made for the days when we feel madly in love with each other. But they're made for the days when we feel like we're not. Because you're married, and not because you feel like it, but because you made a vow and you dedicated your life to it. And if, we, if, if life was just an endless crush and mushy love, there'd probably be no need for the seventh commandment. But it doesn't always stay put mushy love when you get married. You get challenges, you get problems, you get ups and downs. You can't go by your feelings. It's the same thing with our relationship with God, if you really think about it. It's not all about feel good. Now, he lets us go through all kinds of stuff. Now, when he's distant and, and we're just not there, or well, we put, put, make him distant, we don't pray and we don't fast like we should, and, and, and we do things that don't, aren't, isn't pleasing to him, and, and he withdraws and he goes back. And, you know, he lets us go through some hard times with our health or finances, a lot of other things. And, and, and you know, we, we just don't feel like we're loved. And yet he does. It's the same thing in a marriage relationship. You can't go by feelings when it comes to marriage. You made a vow before God and, and to your spouse. And, and we got to be honest. We got to be faithful to that promise. And, and, and if it was always just mushy love, nah, mushy love is not what it's all about. That, that goes, that's, it helps. It's good. I love mushy love. I do. I, I do. Amen. I'm, I'm kind of an affectionate kind of a person. I love mushy love, but not all the time. It's not, all, not there all the time. This time, I don't feel like mushy love. I don't want to be mushy love. And my wife is the same way. Does that mean I, I hate her? No, I don't hate her. I love being with her, even when I don't feel mushy. I enjoy being around her. Hallelujah. So, so this, this seminar, and, and the problem is not just, you know, not having the mushiness. It's when all of a sudden you put in a situation and you're tempted by somebody else's attractiveness to you. That's when you got to take a step back, put up the barriers, and, you know, be ready for it. Amen. Keep yourself pure.
Hallelujah. Uh, but we're, we're fallen human beings, and God knows it. He knows our weaknesses and how we often want what we shouldn't want, right? Amen. So God gave us a seventh commandment to let us know that you and I must be faithful to the one we marry. A lot of things in the world depend on it. They really do. And where you and I spend eternity also depends on it. And I think we need to renew our commitment to sexual purity as married couples. And if you're single, to be single. We need God's help. Amen. We needed it. Amen. In the beginning, when we started our marriage together, our wedding, hallelujah. That's why I got, accept the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. We got to have, especially us who are believers and Christians, we got to have God in the middle of our relationship. And that's the strongest kind there is. For a threefold cord is hard to be broken. That's you and your spouse and God. That's three. That threefold cord is hard to be broken. Stand with me, if you will. Well, I'm not trying to be crude. I don't hope I wasn't. Praise God. I know it's hard to talk about sexual matters. I may have referred to this once before. I, I think it was Dr. Dobson. I heard this from. I know this, this pastor was trying to get home some, drive home some points. And he asked the congregation, you know, to, to sing a song, that will come up with a song that, that, uh, that, that, that answered a certain subject. And, of course, one was victory. So, you know, oh, yeah, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. All right, it's great. Okay, how about love? Love lifted me. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. All right, then the pastor springs it on him. So, all right, sex. Same thing happened. That happened right here. Holy hush, right there. This precious old lady in the back, a widow woman, piped up and said, Precious memories, how they linger. Hallelujah. Near the time when you're going to come on and get old. And some of the things that should work don't. And you better get a handle on your, on your emotions and your feelings and your ideas about how you look at love. Your vows still stand till the day you die. Somebody said hallelujah. I need the help of God in these last days more than ever before. You need it too. I need it. We need it. God is good. He knows all about our struggles. You got problems with your sex life. You got problems with your the issues with your mind and all that. God knows that. That's why he said, you know, bring every thought into, into submission to the beings of Christ. Tear down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into submission to the obedience of Christ. We can do it. God wouldn't ask us to if he didn't think we could. In Philippians 4.8, he says, think on these things. It's a command. Think on these things. Well, how, why, would she, why would Paul command that to us through the Spirit if he didn't think we could? We have a choice to make. 
and we need to be focused and we need to be pure and we need to keep the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Be pure. Don't commit fornication. Flee fornication. Let's make a commitment to be sanctified, holy. Hallelujah. I think it's a good song for it. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary pure and holy tried and true with thanksgiving I'll be a Some of you here tonight that have struggled with your thought life may have struggled with some things that were even mentioned tonight. Maybe you've crossed the boundary line between you and someone else, and you haven't been perhaps as guarded with your relationship as you should have been. Maybe you got too close to the fire. Maybe you've been watching things you shouldn't be watching, listening to things you shouldn't be listening to. I want to tell you tonight that there's a remedy, that God is a merciful God. And He wants us not only to confess, but He wants us to forsake. He said if we confess our sins, if we forsake it, hallelujah. That's it. Isaiah 55. Excuse me, Isaiah. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. I'm quoting you. If my people, which are, which humble themselves and pray, which are called on my name, if we confess our sins and forsake them, God will hear from heaven. He will bless. He will forgive. We want His blessing upon our lives. He wants us to make it to heaven, but we got to do it on His terms. 
telling you, His grace and His love, His mercy and His blood can cover all things. But you got to deal with it. You got to get serious about it. And have to really restrain yourself. You got trouble with your eyes, gouge it out. I don't mean literally. It's your legs or your hands. Set boundaries. Set up accountability. And ask God to help you. Keep reading your Bible. Pray in tongues. The infilling of the Spirit. You need the power of the Holy Ghost. He shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. It's not just about witnessing. It's also about the power to live a transformed life. We need to be there. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for each and every one within the sound of my voice in this building, in this congregation, as well as in the audience on social media. And I pray right now that your spirit would touch each and every heart. And Lord, if there's someone here that was tender enough to hear your words and to hear the admonition and exhortation from the power of your word, which is life, which is able to save the soul from sin. God, I pray that you would reach into each and every heart that you bring them to a place of repentance. No matter where they are, right now, Lord, I plead the precious blood of the Lamb over them. I pray, oh God, that your spirit would be released in power in them and they may live the resurrected life. Oh God, in the name of Jesus, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you say in Jesus' name? Hallelujah. God bless you. Thank you for coming to Bible study. Let's offer up a hand clap of praise to Jesus.